0: Hey everybody, welcome to Bringing Meditation to Life, a podcast in which we immerse ourselves in the intersection of meditation and everyday life, in which we look at the ways meditation illuminates and deepens our experience of daily living, and the ways life itself does the same for our practice. I'm your host, Neil McKinley. All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Other Voices aspect of this Bringing Meditation to Life podcast. This is an opportunity for us to learn a little bit about what practice in life looks like for other meditators that I know. And today, it's our good fortune to have Rivka Simmons with us here. It's our good fortune to be able to sit back and listen as Rivka shares a little bit of her experience, a little bit of her practice and her life with all of us. So welcome, Rivka, and thanks for being here. Thanks for doing this.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So why don't we just get a sense of yourself? Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your life, what your life looks like?
1: Sure. Um I guess currently my life is very quiet um, and slow paced. I am working pretty part time. I used to work more full time as a public speaker and a psychotherapist and did a lot of ran a program for women who struggled with food and body image issues. And so I was very had a lot of um, on my plate, very driven. And over the past several years, I've really pared a lot of things down. And my life to date is just extremely slow. And um, I spend a lot of time in meditation practice and contemplation. I've devoted a lot of my time during the day to my painting practice. Um, My husband and I have run uh, a doggy bed and biscuit we call it a bed and biscuit. So we've been doing that for over 20 years. So we usually have like four dogs living with us. And so we do a lot of taking care of them and we hike a lot during the day we in the woods with them. And, but yeah, my husband's also a meditator. So I always say like he has his kuti, and I have my kuti, and we kind of go on our cooties during the day and we do our practices and he's more of a scholar and I'm more of a, you know, painter, creative person. and so spending a lot of time in in sort of solitude and um, and contemplative practices um, is and you know and and for me it's been mostly you know just a healing experience for me, you know, going really trying to, I think because so much of my life had been so so driven and I've struggled so much with my kind of a lot of childhood trauma um, on all multiple levels um, and a lot of dissociation from myself. I feel like this time for myself and my life is really about like really reconnecting with my body and sort of shifting my allegiance to practices and ways of living that align with my true nature rather than kind of being driven from conditioned mind
0: what a tremendous good fortune to be able to make that shift yeah and you know even as you're speaking it feels like it's been tremendously affecting
1: it's been like a different life you know I feel like I went from like running really quickly and and you know I mean obviously the need to make money and the need to support myself and and but I feel like I was just Behind it, I think, like, I'm, I was very good at performing, you know, and being on and being, like, I was saying, like, it's hard to do this interview because I'm not in a role. Like, being in a role has always been easy for me, but being myself in the world is very vulnerable. So it's like, I'm learning, I feel like I'm trying to, like, get rid of all the roles and actually kind of learn how to be my actual self in the world.
0: And do you have a sense of what role role meditation plays in that for you?
1: I think it's like the biggest thing I can imagine in the sense of it's, I mean, I've been meditating since I graduated college. You know, I had eating disorders and I went into a a kind of a 12-step program right when I graduated college. And the first thing they told me was like, you have to like sit down and learn to kind of be still, you know. <laughs> and and it was like at first it was like 2 minutes a day is all I could do. And then it was like it kind of grew and then I went to uh, I started doing Vipassana meditation and did retreats and but it was like I think for me meditation my mind has always been like my enemy pretty much and as has, has um, been my conditioned mind is so full of self-deception and self-doubt and undermining that when I found like that there were places to rest my attention that were not my mind, that I could rest my attention in my body and my breath and space. I just felt like it saved my life. Um, So I kind of have grabbed onto meditation since my twenties as like a life, a life raft. And, 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 and I think it saved my life pretty much that therapy, you know,
0: Would it be okay to ask a a little bit about what you found in that life raft specifically? Sure. You've you've, You've talked a little bit about that, but can you say a little bit more?
1: I think because my conditioning was so intensely geared towards distrusting my body and distrusting my feelings and distrusting my perceptions. And like, again, I felt like my mind was like a very unreliable place to be. And like, what do I trust? Like, how do I, like, how do I, what do I trust? Like I didn't, if I can't trust my own version of reality, I needed to find something to rely on. And I felt like even just first thing when someone said be with the breath i was like oh like i can rely on that like there's a place for me to go like a place to rest my attention that's not gonna hurt me and and then space you know i started i was able to access like resting in space when in my 20s and i was like oh there's this spacious awareness that isn't my mind And and really, it was like literally sitting day after day. I remember in my 20s and 30s, I couldn't even work for periods of time because I was so debilitated by my mental activity. And I would like my just mindfulness itself allowed me to discern like what thoughts were mine and what thoughts were not mine. You know, what thoughts felt authentic and what thoughts felt conditioned, what was wisdom and what wasn't wisdom, you know, so just like clarity, you know, bringing Mm -hmm. me clarity and bringing me. And over time, as I've kind of developed practice of somatic meditation, it's like actually bringing me into my body, which was, I hadn't done, you know, that's been maybe over the past last, you know, five or six years, which has been practices that are like, I've always lived like 10 feet above myself. So it's like, practices that connect me to the earth. And, Hmm. you know, those things, it's been like, I can't, there's nothing in my life that has been more powerful, other than, you know, psychotherapy and, and psychedelics actually has been extremely helpful. Um, But since it's been like my, since my 20s, you know, for 30 plus years, it's been my lifeline.
0: You spoke a couple of seconds ago about being able to discern as a result of your engagement with meditation practice between um, thoughts that were mine, that's what you said, and thoughts that are not mine. Um, By not mine, can you say a little bit about what you mean by not mine?
1: What's What's a not
0: mine thought?
1: I guess I feel like, I mean, I can only say that I feel like my experience growing up felt like a lot of brainwashing and sort of cult-like almost belief systems that were methodically sort of reinforced uh, beliefs about myself, beliefs about reality that were just like kind of not really true, but I, you know, in order to attach to your family, you kind of just adopt them and they become, but they were not, you know, they hurt me but i kind of knew that they didn't align with my well-being so starting to kind of see through what thoughts i was having that were really not serving me and 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 really destructive so those felt more like i kind of call them just like the conditioning or the they for me they were like annihilating they were very self-annihilating thoughts versus you know now when I sit, some of my practices, I just sometimes I just sit for like can be hours or just sit and be still and and just kind of connect with like my. I, I think a lot about the body's honesty. Like my body is very honest, you know, and what comes from my body feels very authentic and honest. And the thoughts that are conditioned have a lot of like shoulds and mm-hmm. and a lot of spin on them that. You know, the punchline is always like somehow I'm guilty or bad about something. So I think I'm just like able to see those more clearly and like not kind of there's like it's like a veil that feels like I can see the veil Um, and wisdom feels so different. Wisdom feels like that poof that arises from my body that feels like, oh, and then space you know space just feels like it just has no judgment you know it's just like a mirror um so kind of resting in space for me feels like it's very comforting and peaceful
0: what a what a tremendous development to be able to make that discernment i mean that sounds like a game changer to put it lightly yeah I mean, I know, I mean, this is a very rudimentary example, but I know when my daughter was younger, there was a phase of time where she wanted to insist, she insisted that she would eat when she was hungry. Yeah. And for a while, I was really upset by this because you're supposed to eat at eight and noon and six. Right. And again, this is a much more, you know, mundane example of, I think what you're pointing to with, you know, thoughts that are not my mind conditioned thoughts. You know, eventually I recognized, okay, that's just a thought. I mean, yeah, maybe at some point she's going to be out in the world and she needs to align with eight and noon and six, but right now she's not. And I'm just holding on to this idea that I've inherited. Yes. And not only that, that holding on to that idea is causing suffering for myself and my child and everyone in our immediate environment, because I'm so grumpy about it. And it was like you describe a poof of wisdom, like, oh, we don't necessarily have to eat at eight and noon and six.
1: That's so okay. And that you just say that. I mean, the the I mean, the, the way I kind of got out of eating disorders was because I was so like rigid and diet oriented. And I realized like my body knows exactly how to eat. Like I don't have to trust any of those any of the things I've been taught because those are all like mental gymnastics about food. There's nothing about my body that's in there. And so that's Mm. when I was like, Oh, that's when I first realized like my body is so trustworthy in terms of like knowing how to feed itself. And that's how I kind of like got out of my eating disorders and started teaching other people mindful eating. That was like, you know, and that's how to kind of like, there's this wisdom that's really reliable
0: by attending to and trusting enough to allow it to, I guess, affect your behavior in the world, affect your eating patterns.
1: Yeah. Just to reveal like your hunger is like, you you know, there's, you, you're, there's just this natural process that says I'm hungry and your body. It's not, there's no rules that have to be abided by. If your, your body's telling you it's pretty like organic and then we impose all this stuff on it. So I think it's just like letting yourself be natural. You know, letting myself be natural.
0: And do you find that that development of an ability to let yourself be natural that is coming? You know, through meditation, through therapy, through psychedelics, through whatever else you've been engaging over the years. Do you find that? kind of permeating out into your life? I mean, there's a suggestion because it's affecting your relationship with food and eating that it is. Um, You know, is it going further? Does it go further into your life?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, as an artist, and I didn't start doing art till like maybe six or seven years ago because I was so stuck in my head about it and terrified to paint. But I don't know. And I learned that like your body knows how to paint. Like, and I learned this, you know, I've been studying with this teacher for a bunch of years now, which is like about process painting. And it's all about I just stand in front of like the page and I have no clue what's going to happen. And I just literally like rest in space. And then I just listen to my body and whatever wants to come forward, I just follow that. And my mind's like, but that's not the right color. And I just sort of like, you know, not even listening, not paying attention. So, My whole painting is about the way I paint is also the exact same way that, you know, it's all about trusting in something like a higher intelligence that's not based on my conditioning and conceptual mind and seeing something so much more powerful and reliable unfold.
0: And you... You talked about um, standing in front of that page and there's kind of this no clue moment. I mean, is that, I want to say an essential, is that a frequent part of the process of being natural and trusting your body is hanging out with no clueness?
1: Yeah. The first principle of process painting is not knowing, and it's just being able to not know. And then, letting yourself not know for as long and then wait. It's very much like the Dharmakaya, Sambhogakaya, Kaya. It's like not knowing and then waiting till there's sensing an energy that arises and then following that energy, manifesting it. And then that might, you can't be going for a while. And then you step back and you're back and not knowing, and then you're waiting and lingering really the lingering happens for quite a while. And then the poof, and then you follow the poof. And that's, how i create you know and i i just don't even i and my mind's like yeah but that color sucks don't do that that's the worst thing you can do and i'm just like okay i'm doing it you know my body's (laughs) saying go for it
0: and i think that's a really interesting thing you just brought up is that while you are lingering in this no clueness
1: yeah
0: i'm going to do this as a double negative you're not not having thoughts. In other words, oh, yeah. there's, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, the thoughts are like, you know, what are you doing? How, you, you need to, but, but, but j- this looks terrible. And, and I'm just like, mm-hmm, yep, that's not a thought to trust, you know, that's not a poop, that's the condition mind, mine. And it's the same, and I guess it's, so it happens in my painting, and, and then my practice during the day is like, I, since I have more time, you know, I just sit on the couch and not know And not know. And my mind's like, well, you should call this person or you should call that. And I'm just like, mm hmm, mm hmm. And then I wait till something comes that feels more kind of from my body. And then I try to follow that as like sort of, you know, trying to kind of, you know, use that model in like, how do I live a life? How do I live this life? You know, rather than always having in the past like come from, up here you know from from a lot of conditioning and and Mm. misguided you know wanting to please and and perform and and be safe you know and it feels frightening um at times and i feel kind of alone and weird but i also feel like it's it's so much more satisfying Mm.
0: and i love what you include at the end of your description of the process at the end of your description of meditation practice that it is about living a life and i think for me i've spent a lot of time thinking about meditation as uh you know resting settling in and um, receiving those poof moments of insight and not necessarily understanding the connective tissue of following and that's a word you've used a lot of following those moments of inspiration into the world how did you how did you come to make that connection how did you come to realize that following was i'm going to use this word an essential part of this practice of living a life a contemplative life a meditative life an artist's life A human life.
1: I guess I just feel like I don't know what else to trust except that, you know, Mm. it's like everything else feels like it's not authentic or not me. So I think it's the only way I know how to like, move forward or live a day, you know, or figure out how to, I mean, sometimes I'll wake up in the morning, I'll be like, oh, I don't have any plans for today. And this condition part is like, oh my God, you have to do this and that and the other thing. And I'm just like, oh no. Then I kind of just see that conditioning and I just say, no, I'm going to sit on the couch and wait and see what arises from my body and follow that and follow that. And the more I do that all day long, The more I feel like the day feels so much more nourishing and and I'm I'm in alignment with myself. So I think it feels like it's about living in alignment with myself.
0: And can you give us a little bit of a sense if you have one? Of like how do you discern between something arising that's not in alignment, that's conditioned or coming from elsewhere, and something that's arising that is in alignment that has a, you've talked about the body a number of times, but you know, how do you know the difference? How do you discern between those two?
1: I think my mind often feels frantic or urgent, or it feels like there's a fear, it feels fear-based and it feels like scarcity-based and it feels, there's a desperation oftentimes, or it, it feels like if you don't do this, then that, you know, like it has a quality, The conditioned mind feels like you better or you should, you know, those words just feel like kind of red flags. And sometimes it takes all my energy to like hold myself down from not following that. But then, and oftentimes I think like the guiltier, I feel probably the, I'm probably going in the right direction, you know, (laughs) because I feel like sometimes sometimes, And then I think that sometimes it just feels like my body just gets up and does the thing. Like, it just Mm -hmm. is like, I don't know. It just knows what to do, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's not always the, you know, it could be like, I do it and that doesn't work out, but then trying not to like just learning from that, you know? So it
0: sounds like there's, there's a lot of honest familiarity that you've developed over the years that you've been doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And a willingness to uh, learn by trial and let's say trial and error.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because then there's that thing like, well, if it's the right thing to do, then it will turn out right. But that doesn't (laughs) always happen, you know, (laughs) like you did it and you followed the energy and like, well, that didn't work out. And it's like, okay. But then you learn from that. It's like self course correcting, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Being willing to learn from my experiences.
0: Well, one of the things that comes to mind as you're describing, and and I'm going to admit in advance that this is just a terrible question to ask, but I'm, because I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway, is, is, you know, what do you see? You know, now you've been doing this work, you've been meditating, you know, for whatever, 20, 30, 40 years since you first sat down and tried to be still for two minutes, you know, because people are often asking me this, like, okay, what comes out of meditation? What's the benefit? What am I going to get? You know, what do you see yourself, I mean, in some ways our whole interview has been about that, but what do you see looking back, you know, one of the major differences being between the you now and the you then? I mean, a
1: couple of thoughts I had is like, one feels like living in an an unconscious life versus living a conscious life. You know, I think I was living a pretty unconscious life before, you know, I, I, you know, meditation has, you know, just enriched my life in every possible way, you know, from the being able to sit, you know, trust a feeling to be able to sit through really a lot of discomfort and pain and, trust that that's, I don't have to run from myself. You know, I think part of having eating disorders for me was like just not being able to sit in my own skin, you know, always searching for comfort. So like, I think there's just so much trust in even sitting through, like sitting through so much discomfort, sitting through grief, sitting through, so there's nothing that I have to be afraid of in myself, I guess that's. Mm -hmm a big part of meditation I don't have to run away from anything whereas I think so much of my life had been trying to get away from discomfort and the way I thought the way I felt you know so I think it's like everything feels like can be included even mm-hmm. if it's extremely painful mm-hmm. and maybe it gives me trust in I mean because life you know, Sickness, aging, death, all the stuff that's going to be coming up, you know, it's like, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing so I can like be able to be present and suffer less, you know, as life goes on, I guess.
0: That's beautiful. And, you know, as we come towards the end here, I'm wondering, you know, do you have any tips or pointers for... People who want to bring meditation and life more closely together for themselves, who want to find ways of living a more conscious life, any trade secrets that you've gained over the years.
1: I don't know. I I guess, I mean, I know it's so hard for people to slow down and just be, but I feel like as much as, you know, you can just even for two minutes or something or five minutes just to kind of be without distraction. And I just find taking refuge in things like just the earth beneath me and this, my senses, you know, just being still and listening and seeing and smelling and touching, tasting, just like taking refuge in my body when I'm walking, just anything I can do for myself to drop down out of my conceptual mind and enter into my body feels like a, whatever it is. I mean, I, you know, eating without distraction and, just being in my in my body somehow, feeling my feet when I'm walking. I listen to Dharma talks every night before I go to sleep. You know, I find that just hearing the teachings the, over and over every night, like I just feel like it's like food for my soul. So I fall asleep to that every night, and you know, the contemplations of Buddhist the four noble truths or the three qualities of existence. I just love to think about those things, and they help me. They just help me kind of reflect throughout the day, and and being in community. You know, I, like I've found that being in your community, which is like it's so practical. You know, just to put, put a plug in for your community. You know, just the way that you bring meditation to life. You know the thinking a lot about, you know, just lingering because it's not just lingering while you're sitting on the cushion. It's lingering when I'm sitting in front of a painting, or it's lingering when I'm just sitting on the couch and not having to like waiting, bringing yourself back to the not knowing what is poof. What is that moment of clarity? You know, what does that feel like? I do a lot of writing. I don't know. Just, Like I make lists a lot. Like I'll sit down as I'm, like some of my contemplations. I'll sit down and I'll write like three columns. Like the first column will be the 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 now body. The second column will be my conditioned mind, and the third column will be wisdom or clarity. And I'll just sit and I'll for like I could be there for ten minutes or an hour, and I might just like jot down which kind of getting the sense of what what which is what that's arising the qualities
0: of each one. And it sounds, you know, everything that you've offered or much of what you've offered in the last few minutes, um, it doesn't necessarily require that we carve out big blocks of time in our everyday schedule and find, you know, a unrealistically quiet spot. It sounds like a lot of it is momentary, two minutes you've mentioned, and I imagine some of it's even shorter than that. And, uh, you know, whilst a lot of it falls under the umbrella of meditation, a lot of it, not necessarily. Just
1: focusing on what you're doing.
0: Yeah.
1: Slowing down, hmm. slowing down, slowing down, slowing down.
0: Well, Rivka, thank you so much for being here today. This has really been an affecting um half hour so you know I and I hope the listeners really appreciate your generosity of sharing here with all of us over the last little while
1: thank you thanks for having
0: me you're very welcome and thank you to everyone for listening As always, if you want to learn a little bit more about my work helping bring meditation to life, please visit my website at neilmckinley.com. And if you're so inclined, you know, consider signing up for my newsletter, which is a monthly source of teachings and updates and special offers and reminders of the role that meditation can actually play in our lives. In the meantime, um, take care and be well. And let's keep doing this work together. Let's keep bringing meditation to life.